Mind the Head. Mind the Head with Paul Flaherty, a weekly show that focuses on mental health and well-being. Sundays on Lockray Community Radio, brought to you by Dignity Funeral Care, funeral directors caring for your peace of mind. Hello and welcome to today's episode of Mind the Head here on Lockray Community Radio. A very big thanks to Denise for a vibrant life and Denise is back with you again next Sunday from 11am. A big thanks to today's sponsor, uh, Dignity Funeral Care. For more information, you can go to dignityfuneralcare.ie for further information on that. Um, often on this show, I've spoken to guests that have overcome adversity and faced major challenges in their lives. And today's guest is going to share their personal story with me on how the collapse of their successful business during the economic downturn led him on a path of self-discovery, which led him to setting up Mind Over Mountains, an initiative that co- combines coaching, mentoring and the great outdoors. I am delighted to welcome to the programme, Martin O'Gmaitonagh. Hello to you, Martin. Hi, Paul. Thank you for having me. And thank you so much for coming in to, to chat because I know how busy you are, so I appreciate you making the um, effort. Um, how are you? I'm good, yeah, I'm good. I'm just back from uh, an expedition in Argentina there, so I'm, I'm good. I'm relaxing and recovering. And we'll chat kind of more about that maybe later on. But, um, I mean, kind of where do we start with your, with your story? Because um, it's quite a story isn't it so i suppose we've kind of maybe better start at the beginning uh yeah fair enough uh, paul i suppose they've made movies on and less uh, dramatic stories <laughs> but, <laughs> but um yeah i'm uh, connemara man originally from on cararua cararo county galway i was born and bred there spent most of my life there uh for the last eight years i'm living in Kinvara now uh south galway so i'm gone from um, big ball country to small gone Small bald country, down from the GA to the football to the hurling, I suppose, down in, in Canvara there. Um, in between, there's been uh, plenty of ups and plenty of downs, so that's part of my story, really. Um, my father died when I was very young. He mm-hmm. was 37 years of age. I was only eight. I was the eldest of four. My mother was actually pregnant with the fifth one of us. My father was um, was buried in June, and my youngest brother, Kieran. Uh, was born in August. So from an early age, really, um, I began to take responsibility for myself, I suppose, really, and and uh, not be a nuisance, or I'm told I wasn't anyway, and I kept myself busy. Uh, I got summer jobs as quick as I could. Uh, but I began to... Um, I began to excel a bit at, at uh, sports, and particularly GA. Um, I became a county footballer at uh, 16. I played under 16, under 18 and under 21 for the Galway football team. I went on to the Galway junior team then, Carroll were a junior team at the time. And then I, be, I made it on to the Galway senior team in 1984. So that was kind of my, my beginnings, my humble beginnings um, out in Connemara there. Um, I had a career-ending injury then um, in '84 where I ruptured my ACL. Now, this day and age, it's a very common injury, but at the time, um, it wasn't that common. And I remember meeting the consultant after having an exploratory operation done. I had my cartilage taken out the previous six months before that, but I was having recurring problems. And um, when he did the exploratory operation on me, the Black Rock Clinic, he said to me, uh, what's your story? He said, Mr. McDonough. And I looked at him and I didn't know what he meant. And he said to me, can you afford, he said, to be five or six months out of work? He said, to rehab, I have to rebuild your knee. So I was after getting married in 1983 and I'd started a business as well in in, uh, plant machinery. So I told him, short answer, I said, I can't afford to be that length of time out of work. And he just said to me, well, he said, your county career is finished. You won't even get away, he said, with club football, with the... the state of your knee and he was right actually it, it did finish my county career I played with the club for a couple of years but I was having a lot of difficulties with my knee and that that brought on other problems as well but um, when I did give it up I started uh, I started managing the club at home in Carrow and we were quite successful and was that kind of like you know when you had to give it up I mean how did you feel about having to give that up um, the playing part of it especially that was very difficult at the time yeah. Pause. good question actually I was 23 years of age and I was at the stage in my life I suppose if the door wasn't opened I'd run through the wall I was I felt kind of invincible at the time and, and I felt strong and I felt fit and um, that was a big thing to have to deal with but yeah. I had to prioritise as well you know I got married and I'd started my business and I just could not afford the practicality of it I couldn't afford to be five or six months out of work at the time yeah. so I moved swift 
carefully and I said, OK, what can I do here? I have a lot of experience gained at county level. I've worked under different managers. Maybe I could bring that into the club and improve what we're doing. And that's what I did, really. So I didn't dwell on it. I suppose it was a sign of things to come for yeah. me years later. Yeah. So then I suppose you talked there about kind of you, you established a business. And then once you had kind of, you know, given up your playing career and you were able to kind of probably focus more time on your business probably as well. Uh, that's true, yeah, I did. And um, I became very successful, actually. I had a lot of machinery and a lot of trucks and I started doing a lot of work for some of the bigger builders in Galway. Everybody would listen to this programme would probably know of O'Malley Construction. And I did an awful lot of work for O'Malley's. I was one of their major contractors. And I... Um, I would have worked on the projects like the Air Square Centre, um, Jury's Hotel, the Galway Bay Hotel, all the big projects big around Galway. Yes, like, big yeah, landmarks. Yes, big landmarks. All the housing estates as well. So I had a lot of machinery, a lot of men working for me as well. And I became I became a millionaire in my probably mid to late 20s. I, I was turning over a lot of money and things were going, going really well at the time. But of course... Things once things go well, there's only really one way they can go, isn't there? Kind well, of after that. Well, I suppose in my story anyway, uh, Paul. There's nearly an expectant of the roller coaster that goes up, but it comes yeah. down. But and everybody's story in life is probably the same. But uh, I, I kept that business going for for uh, many years, over thirty years actually, thirty three or thirty four years. But. Um, in 2005-2006, I started a second business, which was a development company um, where I was buying sites and I was developing land for... Um, and this was kind of common practice in this particular time period in this country, in Ireland, where there was a lot of property development going on, the economy was booming, money was flowing left, right and centre, and everyone was kind of, you know, having a very, very good time. Uh, well, I suppose, yeah, there was a fair bit of that going on. But you'd have to remember as well, and for listeners listening, um, I was at the coalface of it, Paul, where a lot of the, the site works and everything. I was the first man on site. Yeah. I was the first man to dig out the soil. So I saw opportunities and I saw chances. And I said, God, I could do 50, 60% of that work for myself yeah. uh, if I set up another company. Um, and that's what I did. And I saw opportunities and I did quite well for a couple of years at it. And then, of course, the financial crisis hit in 2008 and 2009, and I was really extended, where I had a couple of, um, I had a couple of uh, developments uh, that were in planning. So I had bought them at, the, I suppose, the highest, where the values were really high, but and I still hadn't got the planning permission yeah. on them. They Can were I ask you about kind of, uh, how do I ask this question? Like, you know, when you were kind of, Developing and stuff. I mean, there was, we're talking probably serious money here, aren't we? Yeah, well, there was a lot of millions involved. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what was your kind of, what was your mind like when you were kind of doing all that? I mean, were you thinking about, well, obviously you were thinking about making money, of course, but you know, I mean, there's a lot of risk, I suppose, involved in that. Uh, uh, there is, of course, and there, like there's a risk in running every business and, and, um, um, the longer you're at it, and I was at the time probably 20-something odd years at my plant and machinery business, and I had been very successful. Now, I never went to college. Uh, I suppose my father dying early and my mother being under a bit of pressure, yeah. it meant that I went straight into employment as soon as I could. But that wasn't necessarily a bad thing for me because I'd gained a lot of experience of... of um, uh, picking right contracts and making sure that we were making money all along. So uh, I would have gauged all along, like, okay, what am I paying for this? Uh, what possibilities are here? What can I turn this into? So yeah. I wouldn't have gone willy-nilly into anything, but it was, when the financial crisis hit in 2008, it was really difficult because it happened in a very short space of time, whereas land, I would have bought with a lot of potential, hadn't actually materialised because I hadn't got the planning permissions through. So while the, the prices I'd paid for um, acquiring these sites was really high. Overnight, the values of them sites fell, but my loans stayed up where they were when yeah. I got them. And uh, unfortunately for me, um, I had both businesses in one bank, whereas I'd say my plant business was looked at as a very lucrative business and there was a lot of equity in it. Yeah. But unfortunately for me, uh, 
the bank decided that they'd target that business as well. So they made life really difficult for me to the point where I lost both businesses and my marriage of 26 years went as well because the stress was unreal. I didn't want to end up that way. I didn't want to end up under that pressure, but that's what came and that's that's where I found myself having to deal with that. So for a couple of years, 2009, 2010, I was in a bad place. I took it very personally. Um, I didn't look at it as a global financial crisis. I looked at it as my crisis. Um, People close to me blamed me for taking too many chances. I suppose there was a grain of truth in that. And I found it really difficult. I hated myself. I blamed myself totally. I couldn't look in the mirror at myself. I lost all my confidence. um, Lost an awful lot of friends. And um, I suppose I lost the wherewithal to get stuff done. I I couldn't control anything, what was going on. It all seemed way too big for me. And I was, uh, I know people use it now, the phrase I was caught in the headlights, but definitely I didn't know which way to go. And it was a really, really difficult time in my life. There must have been some really incredible dark days and nights. Uh, There was, um, and I I had to recollect a lot of them and go back to that time. I wrote a book there in 2020, actually called Mind Over Mountains. And uh, I had to revisit a lot of those dark times and talk about how I was feeling and the effect it had on me personally. And it it was difficult to go back there because it reminded me of how dark and uh, how lonely that time was and how I struggled with my mental health and how I struggled uh, to exist, really. Yeah, I mean, how did you sort of... Obviously, you're still here, you're with us today, but like, how did you begin to kind of deal with all of that that was going on because there were so many elements to that because your whole life basically was turned upside down you know and you know your business was gone you'd lost your marriage you know friends that kind of turned their backs on you you know where did you kind of where did you start um well uh, that's a good question paul um i found i think i referenced it in the book that i was uh, i felt like i was putting out a forest fire with a garden hose because there was no decisions there was nothing i could do um everybody was looking for answers people who had bought properties and couldn't get into them uh banks architects engineers uh employees um, customers left right every side I looked uh, it was pressure 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 being ramped up and uh, I, I didn't have any support and I didn't have any answers so I began to look at what actually I could control one of my sisters rang me I'll never forget it one Sunday night at a time when I was really very low and um, she I, I, I referenced earlier I'm the eldest in the family but there's one in every family that everyone's afraid of and <laughs> that sister Angela she's she's the one in our family but she said to me she said I believe you're not in great shape I said no well she said you haven't killed anybody now it was oversimplification but she said I want you to go to somebody and of course my reaction to that was I'm not going to anybody uh, there's nothing wrong with me she said I know but she said I want to send you to a life coach so I uh, listened to my sister thankfully that night and the following Tuesday I visited a life coach for the first time ever in my life and I went to that lady I think I think it was going to her twice a week for 13 weeks and that changed my life actually I began to focus on what I could change and what I could influence in my life and I began to just leave the other side the other stuff to one side now I'm oversimplifying it but really uh, th- this, the simple things, the things that I could control were my health mm-hmm. and my own well-being, my mental health especially. Um, I, For somebody who would pride himself on being very fit, um, I stopped training, I stopped doing everything for nearly two years. I just wasn't able, I didn't have the head for it and um, I didn't have the capacity to be able to get myself to do but I started going for walks again down by the sea at this stage I was living with um, one of my sisters she had a converted garage and uh, I was there for four and a half years so she was living close to the sea which I found uh, very beneficial I used to go down there at four and five o'clock in the morning and just sit and watch the waves and listen to the sea and um, I began to rebuild myself slowly but surely through the help of the life coach, focusing still on things that I could control. Instead of trying to have 10 meetings a, a week, I'd try to get two, three or four. And I'd try to talk to people that were willing to talk to me and trying to help me uh, to solve some of the issues that needed solving. Gradually, slowly, month by month, 
uh, I began to get through some stuff. People began to see reason and began to meet me. And it was slow but and meticulous and it took a long time. But I began to work my way through it. But uh, mentally I was very, very conscious of where I was at and the pressure I felt under. It was, it was unrelenting. I remember lying in a recliner in the little apartment I had and I felt like there was 10 ton weight on my chest some days. And it wouldn't stop. At night time it was getting worse. So... It was, uh, there were really difficult times and um, I found it really hard um, to like myself for a long time. What do you think now when you kind of talk about that now? Uh, well, I, firstly, uh, Paul, not giving you a short answer, but I can talk about it now. For yeah. a long time, I couldn't. Yeah. Um, I'd have to, I'd walk away. Uh, the tears would start. I'd well up. And I'd feel the pressure. I think writing the book was huge for me, uh, getting it down on paper. And I didn't write the book to vent at anyone, to blame anybody else. I wrote the book um, to portray how I felt and what I went through. And I think that's uh, the benefit that the book gives to some people who are reading it now who may not be under one-tenth of the pressure that I was under at the time but that's irrelevant if you're under pressure in some part of your life it can feel like every bit of pressure that I was under so some people from reading different uh, chapters or different extracts of it everybody gets something out of it they can sense the pressure that I was under in themselves at times and that's what I talk about in the book and how I managed it and how I coped with it and how I began to look at okay there's so many things in my life that are out of my control there's so many things I can't do anymore there were so many people depending on me I can't carry that anymore circumstances have made sure that I can't and things have happened so I began to look at okay what what is it within my control myself how I feel how I manage my own health and that became very important because if you cannot manage that and you cannot stay healthy well everything else nothing else matters after that so I started off slowly like that and that's why I encourage people my coaching business now Mind Over Mountains if people are struggling I try and get them to you know pair it back and try and focus on what you can control and what you can change and it's gradual and it's slow and it's painful but like the other thing I realised um, after a couple of months well, when I began to look at other parts of my life we all have so many talents that sometimes we never find out um, in my case all hell had to break loose and my world had to fall down around me for me to begin to look at other talents that I may or may not have had I began I figured out I was a good cook mm-hmm. um, I figured out that uh, I was a good listener I figured out that I could talk to people mm-hmm. and um, they didn't mind listening to me um, I knew that I was good at sport I knew that I had that ability um, at the time when all of this happened uh, a couple of years previously I'd cycled across America so I knew I had a mindset that it could I could endure um, and I began to focus on that and I said I used to say to myself well you've been through a lot you've come through a lot of challenges you'll come through this as well and I started to self-believe in myself and uh, it's amazing when you start that I work with an awful lot of people now and I I talk about mindset an awful lot because I believe that your mindset has an awful lot to do with your success and how you cope with whatever life throws at you if you have a positive growth mindset now it doesn't matter I go into schools now and give talks and I do a little bit in the corporate world as well and I always encourage people to look at what it doesn't matter what goes wrong in your life there's always some little grain or some little ingredient there that you can take out of it some learning that you'll say okay that didn't go well what did I do wrong? What could I have done better? What's the lesson I go away from? Now, there's people probably listening to this saying, oh, God, if you had to deal with what I have to deal with. And I know people do struggle, and sometimes it's really difficult. But in my case, I began to look at, okay, I cannot control that. Stuff happened, and this is the result of it. But what can I take out of it? What are my, what are my strengths? 
okay, there's weaknesses there, but what are my strengths that I can work with moving forward? And that's what I encourage people. Look more at the strengths, look at the lessons that you've learned and see what you can bring away with you and move on. Because we always focus on the negative and things that, you know, we can't do as opposed to things that we actually, that we can do. Uh, we do indeed uh, Paul and even going back to what I spoke about earlier like when I had that career ending injury one part of my life like which I was kind of uh, really really into at the time I was a county footballer I'd come from minor under 21 uh, we got to an All-Ireland final in 1981 Cork betters after the replay so I, I was on a I was on good teams and we were going places but all of a sudden I couldn't do that anymore so that consultant said to me, he said, to have any quality of life, he said, going forward, if you don't let me rebuild your knee, you're going to have to take up one or two things. And I said, what? He said, cycling or swimming. Now, seven or eight years later, I started cycling. But I cycled across America. Uh, I raised an awful lot of money for charity. I've done umpteen challenges all over the world. My bike has brought me all over the place. Now, I still have the same gammy knee. Mm-hmm. I'm climbing mountains with that gammy knee. So, like, you know, one door closed, but another door opened. Yeah. I didn't give up. So, yeah. like, that message is there for people as well that, you know, it doesn't matter. Okay, something, and at the time, it can be really difficult to take because, like, it's been your life and been a huge part of what you did. It's like somebody retiring. But you have to look at, okay, what experience have I got? How could other people benefit from this? Or what else could I do that I, I can't do whatever? But what else can I do that I might enjoy that might influence other people and that might help me with my own life? And that's what I did with cycling. And for many, many years, I cycled all over the world. And it's cycling has been brilliant for me. Um, lately, then, in the last couple of years, I moved to Canvara and I started doing a bit of hiking and, and mountain climbing and that. But that's brought me to Everest Base Camp. It's brought me to climb Kilimanjaro. And I'm only back from Aquancagua now, one of the highest one of the highest mountains in the world outside the Himalayas. And I'm doing that with a gammy knee. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you were so taken with life coaching that you embarked on your own journey on becoming a life coach yourself. Uh, I did, that's correct, uh, Paul. Yeah, I was. I was so taken uh, with life coaching and the experience I had with it and the effect it had on my life uh, that I really felt like I would have liked to go back and qualify myself and become a life coach. And I did that. And uh, I started Mind Over Mountains in 2021. Uh, but with the pandemic and stuff, it was kind of slow to get going. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's gone from strength to strength. Writing the book, of course, was was a huge, probably the best business card I could have because if people are, you know, even listening to this now, if somebody's saying, well, God, I wonder would I be able to work with that guy or what's life coaching all about? Reading the book definitely <laughs> would give you a good insight because yeah. I talk about life coaching in it. But um, I, I was so impressed with it. But I, I, um, I love helping people. And I love uh, helping people help themselves because within every one of us, uh, there is answers, there's strengths, there's talents that sometimes go unnoticed. But I think like um, there is definitely one thing I've noticed that's come out of the pandemic. In my case, for me to change my life, it, uh, uh, things had to go very wrong and it forced me into making decisions that I made but I've noticed in the last couple of years especially two to three years that uh, people now men and women male and female uh, people are beginning to look at their lives now and, and they're beginning to say okay I want to make some changes here and I think that's empowering and the best way to do it is go to some professional a life coach like myself where somebody will support you but will challenge you as well and help you find the right route for you going forward if it's a career change if it's taking up some exercise if it's achieving some challenge in your life whatever changes you wish to make that somebody's there to support you especially in the initial stages till you get well on that route and you're able to keep going yourself because that's the hardest part the initial stage isn't it because you know somebody might come to you and say i want to change my career for example but yet it may not be actually changing their career that maybe what could be the cause of them wanting to come to you in the first place there may be some other element to that maybe to work in a different area in their chosen career or you know something different like that that you can kind of help them to kind of get onto the right path yeah definitely and and it's amazing like once 
once a client comes and and decides to work with me as a life coach, um, they may be they may have an idea which direction they want to go, but they mightn't be hundred percent sure of the reasons. But definitely, as we work together those reasons come to light and people get more clarity mm. on, on what they want to do. Like, uh, I, I explained to my uh, my sister's 12-year-old two years ago when he was asking me about what's life coaching all about. And I said, to simplify it, I said to him, he knew I climbed the mountains. I said, it's like, you come into me, I said, and you you have a, a backpack on your back. And I said, uh, it's full of everything. I said, your life up to today but I said, with my help, I said, we reach into it. And I said, you start to take stuff out of it that's not relevant anymore and that you don't need anymore. That does two things. It makes it lighter and it gives you a bit of room to put new stuff in. Mm-hmm. And that's basically what life coaching is yeah. about. And I'd encourage people not to be afraid of it. When you take on a life coach, you're taking on somebody in your corner, somebody that's there for you to support you, but will challenge you to make sure if you're making decisions that you're making them for the right reasons. And you're empowering yourself as well to kind of make Def- changes or whatever the... Definitely you are. And there's another real catchy word now, I suppose, um, that people are talking about personal growth. Yeah. And I definitely see that with people. Like, I, it's amazing. And one of the mo- biggest satisfactions I get in my life now is seeing people's light bulbs come yeah. on for themselves yeah. when they begin to see, oh, God, yeah, now I see. Yeah. And it's lovely to see that. And it's great to hear that. Even yourself, I mean, you've obviously grown uh, since what's happened to you. And your own kind of light bulb has gone off, hasn't it? A hundred percent, Paul. And I look at life totally differently now. Um, I always had a positive mindset, but definitely growth-wise, I've ramped it up a hundred percent because like every client, every person I deal with, um, I'm learning something myself. I'm learning something about what they're talking about. I'm learning about how they've dealt with stuff up till now. And one of the biggest difficulties I had um, to, when becoming a life coach was I had so much life experience myself yeah. that sometimes um, as you're uh, progressing through the training and that, um, it can be a downer because you're trying to tell the person how you did it, but that's not necessarily the way that'll work for the person sitting in front of you. So it's one of the strongest areas I have now is where I'm a, I'm a really good listener now. Mm-hmm. We're trained how to listen. We're trained to listen to how people are talking, what words they're using. Uh, is there self-limiting beliefs? What are they feeling happy about? So now I listen an awful lot. I ask questions based on what I hear, not based on my experience. Now, with the person's permission, sometimes I'll volunteer and I'll say, would you consider trying this? if they're not seeing maybe a way out for themselves or whatever. But predominantly, I'm there for that person to listen to them and to help them steer their path on their uh, new road for themselves. Because that's probably where the coach element comes from. You're not actually like a teacher or whatever telling them what to do. Exactly. The coach is always someone that's like encouraging and supportive. It is. And yeah. I, I think it's becoming more and more so, uh, Paul. I see it in, in, in sports particularly now. And I know when I was involved with Carroll all those years ago, I was hugely into, they call it man managing now. But I, some of our best players, two or three of them, there was a lot of issues. Mm. Some of them were good drinkers. Some of them had other issues and whatever. I befriended them. I met them outside of training. I sat down with them. I listened to them. And I think nowadays all the successful team, Jim Gavin in Dublin, he was really into to it. I see Jack O'Connor and Kerry um, Andy Fowl with the Irish rugby team. Like it's so so much of life now has gone about. If you can support a person in whatever they're doing and you're going to get the best out of them but you have to listen to them at where they're at in their personal lives and try and pick out where the, the issues are where they're struggling and help them and you're going to get the best out of them and I think that's going to come in more and more I see it in, in hurling mm. in the GA in soccer in everything that people are taking on coaches and our teams are taking on coaches and it starts like with the team management well if the team management have issues that's the first place you start mm-hmm. and then it goes to the players where if somebody's there to listen to them and say how are you feeling today Paul anything you want to talk about yeah Martin actually there's a couple of things going on I can't focus on my training okay what can we do about that so I can see that becoming more and more um, as as uh, as we go on but uh, already in the more professional uh, teams uh, they are dealing with that and they're having success 
success with it as well. Because the ultimate goal there is that they want to win and be successful. Of course. But like for us in our own lives, we also want to, to win and to be successful. Uh, we do as well. And I, I see Andy Farrell and, and Ruby, I'm very interested in that. They, they, he talks about creating an atmosphere. Yeah. And, and that's huge. And you can see it in the Irish rugby team at the moment where th- they seem happy and yeah. they seem content. And the results are, and why not? do it at club level and why not do it wherever in whatever sporting arena so that's going to come more and more but along with that I see personally as I said earlier uh, people are more open now to reaching out mm. and that was like when I go into schools and I'll give them talks I'll talk about my adventures and I'll talk about building my business and I'll talk about everything then I'll once I get the teachers out of the classroom mm-hmm. I've learned that I have to do that now I give 90 minutes of a talk so for the last 15 minutes I'll ask the teachers to go out the teachers don't want to because they're interested in what I have yeah, to say as well yeah, yeah. But the reason I do that is I'll get way more involvement from the children or from the kids or the yeah. students and they'll ask me questions. But I might have given them the whole rundown of my life, the ups and downs, the good, the bad and the ugly. And I'll ask them, what's the hardest thing do you think I've ever done? And usually the girls will come up with something. Recently, on five or six occasions in different schools, it's happened where one of the girls would say, the hardest thing you've ever done is admitting you are in trouble and reaching out for help. And I think that's huge for for anybody mm. who's struggling in any way. Now, my troubles at the time, I didn't think were mental health related. I felt they were business pressure related, but definitely on the motorway to becoming mental health issues. So I would always encourage anyone that's listening to this, if you're struggling in any way, reach out to a professional person. If you're not comfortable with doing that, talk to a friend. We all have one or two friends, mm-hmm. only one or two friends that are willing to listen to you. Mm-hmm. Meet them for a coffee. Start there, but definitely reach out. And even doing that, that process of having someone listen to you, it can be so helpful. In my time, I know my own uh, worst days, I had one or two friends who rang me quite a lot and met me for coffee. Now, they weren't professionals and they weren't experts in any way, but they took time to dial my number and ring me and say, how are you today, Marcin? Mm-hmm. Do you want to meet for a coffee? And that meant so much to me. Looking back at it now even, it meant so much to me, but eventually I did reach out to a professional person and that started me on the road to definitely, as my mother would say, sorting myself out. <laughs> 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 We've got to talk about Mind Over Mountains, okay. business that you have set mm-hmm. up. Yes. Um, I mentioned at the start a little bit about it, like, but tell us kind of, I suppose, tell us the story of where it came from, because obviously this is a bit of a story behind setting it up as well. Um, yeah, no problem. I suppose there's something else I should mention as well, uh, Paul, before it goes astray, and it's another message. I'm giving a lot of messages to people now if they haven't turned off the radio already. Oh, don't. <laughs> <laughs> don't say that. Um, um, it's just that, like, I, I would have been... Um, I, as I said, I pride myself on, on keeping myself fit in that, and that, and I do, and I've done a lot of cycling over the years, but... Um, after cycling across America, one of the guys that cycled across America with me was a man called Declan Sugru. Now, he's one of the, I suppose, the top uh, cardiologists in the Matter Hospital in Dublin. And uh, I met him on a cycle in 1999, which is not that long ago, and um, for Pink Ribbon. And it was a three-day cycle, but we were having a couple of pints of Guinness on the Saturday night. And I just said to him, um, Declan, I said, there's some new test you're doing now. And he said, yeah, there is. He said, it's called um, Cardiac CT Scan. And uh, I said, I'd like to do it. I said, I'll be 60 and, uh, in 2000 and, or in 2020. And uh, he said, but he said, you have no ailments. I said, no, I don't. Well, he said, we'll do it in the new year, he said. And I call it a 100,000 uh, mile NCT test. He said, we'll do all kinds of tests on you uh, after Christmas. So I said, fine. So I did those tests in February uh, 2020. And the result was that it showed up that I had substantial blockages in two of my arteries. Now, I had no ailments whatsoever, nothing whatsoever. I'd been to Everest Base Camp the previous year and I trained very hard for it. Uh, I was cycling quite a lot um, in uh, 1999 and I was just generally very active. I wouldn't be carrying any weight and I'd have a good diet in that. So um, the uh, cardiac CT scan showed up that I had blockages in two of my arteries. Uh, I went up to the matter just at the beginning of the pandemic in March 2020 and I ended out coming out or ended up coming out of there with uh, four stints. Now I had a conversation with Professor Sugru afterwards and I said, Beckton, I said, what might have happened? And he said, Martin, he said, um, 
you were looking at a stroke, he said, or a heart attack, and whichever, he said, wasn't too far away with the percentage of blockages you had. That must have been an awful shock to hear that. It was a huge shock, and of mm. course, like, one of the first questions I had for him was, well, like, how did this happen to me? My cholesterol was below five, and I said, you know, my diet's good, generally very healthy, and uh, he just said to me, he said, did you tell me, he said, that you got shingles a couple of times? And at the height of my struggles, when I was in 2009, 2010, I got shingles three times. And he just looked at me and he said, oh, he said, chronic stress. He said, we're finding now, he said, that guys who really struggled, he said, about 10 years ago, around the same time as you, are coming into us now, he said, uh, with blocked arteries. So he said, uh, chronic stress, he said, is the silent killer. That's what we call it. So, like, had I not been proactive, I had mm. no sign. There was nothing whatsoever. I could run up and down stairs all day. My resting heartbeat was around 50. Very fit man. But yet I had these blockages that I didn't know about. So, like, a message I'd like to give to people is, and I keep encouraging people, is... If in any doubt at all, if you're breathless going up or down the stairs, definitely. If you can't walk up the road to the shop, if you can't play with the kids comfortably out in the garden, if there's any issues, male or female, go and get yourself checked. I don't think I'd be sitting here today only for I was proactive and I decided to get that test done. Mm. So coming out of that in 2020, we were going into a full pandemic. I was a qualified life coach, but I hadn't done, I wasn't doing anything um uh, fully about it. I was doing a little bit of coaching with people who knew that I was a coach, but I hadn't advertised it and stuff. So I sat down with a friend of mine, Vivian Malloy, and uh, she helped me with marketing and stuff. And I said, look, I said, I, I'm, I'm getting serious about this coaching business. I said, I want to set up a business. What do you think we should call it? And she said, well, you always, always maintain, she said, that people's issues are like their mountains in their minds. And we put our heads together and we came up with mines over ah, mountains. Yeah. So that's where it came yeah, from, yeah. really. So um, I do some one-on-one -on -one coaching where I meet people. I have an office in Ordenmore. Um, I have designed a program. I'm on my second one at the moment now where people sign up to it over a couple of months. We meet every couple of weeks. They go through some exercises and stuff for people who want to make changes. And uh, it's going quite well. I'm doing some talks in schools and that. I'm beginning to do a little bit of uh, corporate work as well. So it's, it's going pretty well, Mind Over Mountains. And your website is mindovermountains.ie. That's the correct, yeah, www.mindovermountains.ie. And the book, if anyone's interested in the book, it can be bought off that website as well. Yeah, brilliant. I want to talk to you about um, Everest Base Camp. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's really, really exciting. Like, And I mean, I suppose the first question I want to ask you about that is, how do you prepare mentally for something like that? Um, well... Over the last number of years, I've been um, predominantly doing endurance events. Now, they were uh, predominantly cycling events, yeah. like the cycle across America, but what I, I, have, I would have done an end-to-end -end challenge, Mizzenhead to Malinhead here inside 24 hours. I'd have done a lot of stuff in France and Belgium and Spain. <laughs> I go to Mallorca quite a lot for cycling. So uh, I would have, my background in the last number of years has been uh, in endurance events. I did discover that uh, I could sit for, on a bike for a long time yeah. <laughs> and cycle or pedal into the wind or rain or whatever it was, and it didn't um, negatively affect me. Yeah. How long uh, did the coast to coast in America take you to do? Uh, that took us, uh, well, to 3,000 miles yeah. in 25 days. Okay. We had no rest day, and we averaged 137 miles a day. Okay. And so we, you got, were, we got the four seasons as yeah, well. Yeah, you were well, well used to being on the bike then at after that well I was yeah and yeah. Uh, like from that I, get, I, I I noticed that you know my mindset around uh, being able to prepare myself for something like that yeah. was good um, then getting back to the question you asked me about Everest Base Camp uh, having started um, I'm 8 years in Canvara now having, I started probably doing a bit of, of hiking and, and um, mountain walking there when we arrived there first and um, 2018 we went to Everest Base Camp my son and myself I trained by doing the highest mountains I could in Ireland, Karen Tool being the highest one. Uh, went to Scotland a bit as well, in the higher mountains there. And um, 
doing a bit of gym work. I go to the gym in Kilcalgan there, Doc Fitness, uh, and I use that as kind of my, my core training three days a week. I've kept that up. I still do a bit of cycling, not quite as much as I used to. And then in the weekends, I do a bit of, of uh, mountain climbing and that. So that's basically what it is. But Everest Base Camp was um, was a special one. I, ta- I reference it in the book because I suppose the aura that yeah, Everest has. That's it. That's what I'm going to say, Jay. It's like yeah. ev- the mountain, Mount Everest. Uh, yeah. I mean, wow. It was, it was a special event and to be able to do it with my son uh, was lovely. Um, I got, I suffered a little bit with altitude sickness, but we got through it and to do it together was lovely. Last year, I we did um, Kilimanjaro, which is one of the seven summits uh, at 6,000 metres, which means we went higher. I mean, when you're standing at the base of that and you're looking mm-hmm. up, I mm-hmm. mean, what's going through your head? Uh, well, you, you're... You're, you're amazed at the place first and, and the Himalayas are amazing. The people in Nepal are also amazing. But what, what blew me away is the simplicity of life out there. Yeah. Um, what they have, they're content with. There's always a smile on their face and they're always willing to help. The children are playing with cardboard boxes and yeah. rope and throwing a little ball to one another and they're just, there's just this easiness about mm-hmm. life out there, even though to us in the Western world, they have nothing mm-hmm. compared to what we have. But there's a life, there's a less life lesson in that as well, you know, that they can do with so little and yet be so happy. Yeah. Um, as regards the awe of the mountain and that, you know you're standing in a place where there's so much history, yeah. where people have died, where people have been successful and gone on yeah. to summit Everest. Do you and think about that though when you're standing there? Do you think about people that have maybe have died? Ah, uh, you do because yeah. you go through some of the memorials uh, yeah. and some of the graves on the way up and that. Yeah. You see some of them uh, and you're conscious of it all the time. It's talked about so much. Flying into the little airport on Everest is called Lukla. It's one of the most dangerous airports in the world. Surviving that first is right. because there's a lot of accidents and the death rate there is quite high. So surviving that first is, is a big achievement. Right. And then you do your, your hiking for 10 or 12 days, whatever it is, to get to base camp. So yeah. it is it is beautiful. And that gave me an appetite to come back and try some of the seven summits. So as I said, we did Kilimanjaro last year. And I'm only back literally two weeks from doing another big one in Argentina called Aconcagua. Now, there's a list of the seven summits, Aconcagua in Argentina. It's in the Andes. It's the second highest. The only one higher than it is um, Everest, Mount Everest itself. Aconcagua is 7,000 metres. And only 30% of people who try to summit are successful. So my son was with me again on this one. And another gentleman from um, Cornamona called Michael Kane. So there was three Connemara men actually on the top of uh, Aquancagua a couple of weeks ago. And uh, for Michael, it was a special a special day really because he had tried to summit this mountain in 2005 and he wasn't successful. So 18 years later, he did it with us. And I know um, Brendan Gleeson and Paul Meskell have made it very, uh, I suppose, uh, uh, trendy to speak uh, Skoelge now yes. on the red carpet yes. well we yes. did it on the top of Aconcagua oh. in uh, 16 inches of snow so we did but, uh, <laughs> did you record it? Uh, we did yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. my son has it on, on his phone alright yeah but uh, that was special four people died on that mountain yeah. uh, while we were there we were nearly three weeks on the mountain so to go to that height um, to live at altitude for uh, that length of time and to put your body through that is difficult but um, I suppose to go back to what I was saying earlier Paul for people listening to this I did uh, those climbs I did that cycle across America and many other things with uh, my ruptured ACL yeah. and with four stints yeah. uh, carrying the blood to my heart so you know things are possible yeah. and if you have the right mindset you can actually prepare and you can be successful with whatever you decide you want to do. Yeah, that's great. That's really, really good. Out of like the seven summits, how many have you... Uh, I've three done now, but Everest is the highest. Now I've been asked. I'd say if I have a f- if I had a five or no, Paul, I'm I'm assuming you're going to ask me yeah. what's next. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you I had a five, if I had a five for everyone who's asked me since I came home, what are you doing next? Now, firstly, with respect to home, um, I cannot plan anything for another couple of months anyway, because yeah. the other side of going away to these high mountains and altitude is you're out of you're out of coverage and communication for a lot of the time. They don't know what's happening. They're hearing about accidents and yeah. deaths and whatever. 
whatever else and they're worried yeah. so there is that part of it for the people uh, that you leave behind you your loved ones and, and family and that uh, so sometimes it takes the body a good while yeah. to recover after coming back from altitude but naturally enough when you go high and you go higher yeah. you start looking at maybe going higher yeah. but the higher you go the costs ramp up and that so what I'm promoting at Mind Over Mountains I'm promoting people to be active I'm promoting people to take on challenges in their life I'm uh, promoting um, a good positive growth mindset so with all that in mind there will be something else coming yeah. up but I haven't decided <laughs> what it is yet Paul <laughs> uh, maybe maybe what I need to do is uh, <clears throat> get some clients who I could help and um, cajole to maybe uh, climb some mountains and uh, do some big challenges for themselves and help them along the way wouldn't that be brilliant yeah, totally. yeah. I'd really like to do yeah. that Yeah. if yeah. someone did want to kind of do that they could come to you and kind of say of, of would course. You, you'd help them kind of you of know, course yeah, I would yeah yeah. yeah yeah, and maybe sure if there's a, a couple of managers listening who might want to win a few, couple of county titles yeah. or something they might decide <laughs> that I might be the one that uh, would be able to help them and the team as well so uh, it's wide ranging really Paul I'm open to anything but I don't I don't, I don't take everything I get offered. Um, it has to be for the right reasons. It, I have to be comfortable with the people. Uh, and that goes with people who want to be coached as well. Like there is an introductory call where uh, people will hop on a call with me and they'll tell me, you know, what is parts of their life they want changing. Yeah. I'll tell them about how I do things. So there has to be a chemistry between both sides. If there isn't, it's not going to work. Of so that's the initial part of life coaching. Yeah. It's the same with sports or whatever yeah. else. If management approached me or if a single person approached me, I have to be comfortable that it's for the right reasons. Mm -hmm. I have to be comfortable that their mindset is in the right place. And then there's more hope that it's going to work in the long run. Yeah, yeah, excellent. And like, again, your um, website is Mind Over Mountains. That's um, correct. That, yeah. I, that's where all your contact it is. It is indeed. And I've, I've quite a large following actually on Instagram. It's on Instagram, it's The Mind Over Mountains. T-H-E before it and uh, I'm on Facebook as well um, Mind Over Mountains and actually I have a big following on LinkedIn as well so I'm on all social medias I wasn't in any social media about four years ago Paul, but you have to be on it nowadays so a lot of people follow me for the adventures and the photographs yeah. but a lot of people follow me as well for the, the coaching into stuff and some posts that I put up people find them inspiring and that so I, I try to, to cater for all as much as I can but at the end of the day I'm running a business as well yeah. and and uh, I have to try and advertise that and try to get clients as well as best I can. Yeah. Are you happy now? Uh, I am, yeah, Paul. It's funny, like, I, I'm probably happier than I ever was in my life. And, yeah. and um, um, I know I had a moment there last year where I cycled back to, to Carrow to my mother. Now she's in her, I don't know if she'd be listening to this. If she, if, she, if she is, she'll kill me. But she's in her late 80s now. But uh, I cycled from Canvara back to her there one Saturday, sometime during the year last year. So during the summer, the end of June, I think. But from Canvara to my home house, my mother's house, is about 85 kilometres. So I cycled back and, I, of course, she had the cup of tea and the sandwiches and the apple tart and everything ready for me. But when I was leaving, there was just a moment where I put on my helmet uh, to hop on the bike again to cycle back to Canvara I put on my sunglasses and she just looked at me and she said aren't you happier now than when you had all those millions and it was like a statement it was a, sta a statement of a few words but it could have been a thousand mm -hmm. words and I just nodded at her and I smiled and I think it's it's probably the message the, the best answer I can give you as well I'm happier now than, than I ever was you know? yeah yeah that's, that's a great um, kind of statement isn't it uh, it is yeah and I suppose for, for parts of my life for a good while of my life when I, uh, there was a lot of darkness there was a lot of stress there was a lot yeah. of strain um, uh, the results of it probably I'm carrying around with me but I've come out of it a, a different person yeah. uh, I think I've come out of it a stronger person yeah. uh, probably more humane and I've come out of it ready and willing to help others who may be struggling hopefully not to the degree I was but with their own lives in different ways and um, that's what I love doing now yeah. and there's nothing like I got four text messages from four clients uh, last Christmas 
and I'd say the top doctors in the country don't get it. it like what it meant to them to work with me and how they changed their lives and how appreciative they were. And that's special to get that. Yeah. Uh, and it's lovely and it, it's the best, uh, I suppose, recommendation you could ever get yeah. from anyone, you know, to be Because we yeah. live in our own minds. Yeah, totally. And, you know, the slightest thing that could be going wrong in our own lives could be this really like thing that we have to kind of get over this mountain of course yes you know yeah, and like we yeah. sometimes don't see ourselves being able to ever get over it we do yeah and you know the mountains and the molehills but like as i referenced it the, the mind over mountains yeah. and that's that's where it for me begins and ends because yeah. somebody's massive mountain to me is not so much so because of what i've gone through but yeah. because of my experience yeah. so i try to help that person along the way yeah. to get over that mount i'll never tell them it's a small one i'll help them where they are at to get to where they want to get but like we do we 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 overdo it at times where you know we we think that everything is 10 times bigger and 10 times worse than it actually is. Yeah. But when you pair it back, like in my own case, and when you begin to look at, okay, what can I control here? What is within my power? Mm -hmm. And you start there, it's amazing. You start making inroads and you start begin to feel better about yourself. Yeah. You start might start to look at other talents you might have. You start looking at other ways to deal with things and life can change so much. It's, it's unbelievable in a good way. Yeah, and you're a testament to that. Your story here today is very much... A testament to Well, that. I think it is really, yeah. yeah. That's the way I live my life now. I just don't talk it. I, I live my life like climbing these mountains, that adventure side of what I do. But every day I get reminders of the life I used to have and what I used to do, but I don't miss it. Uh, I'm going to ask I, you, actually, do you miss no, that life? No. no. No, I don't. I'm content. Um, some people at times will ask me, I, I did a, a corporate presentation there recently, and I, I was asked, you know, uh, what are my regrets? And I looked at the man who asked me the question, and I smiled, and I said, actually, I said, I don't have any regrets. And he came back at me again, he said, but what about all the mistakes you made? Which was a good question, I suppose, yeah. for him anyway. But <clears throat> I said, I said, I don't look at it as mistakes. I said, I said, I made decisions at the time which I thought were the right decisions. Yeah. Now, I said, I look back and I know they weren't. But I said, I've learned so much. And like, that's another uh, massive lesson to take for me to take away that, OK, somebody might look at it as, oh, he made a lot of mistakes. I didn't intentionally make those decisions. I made them with the best will in the world based on the information I had. Some of them didn't turn out to be the right ones. Mm -hmm. Some of them cost me an awful lot. Mm -hmm. But I look back at it now and I kind of say, well, OK, I didn't do it purposely. That was the decisions that I made at the time. But OK, I've learned loads from that now. I wouldn't make those decisions nowadays. I'd make them differently. I'd ask for help. I'd get advice. I'd look at things differently. And that's what I do now with people. Okay, have you checked it out? Are you sure that's the best way to go? Have you got advice on it? How well up are you in that? You know, so there's always, you learn from all these, as I said, take a grain of positivity out of whatever has gone wrong or whatever negativity is around you and say, okay, there's something here. You might have to look hard for it, but there always is. Yeah. There's some lesson that you go away with. Yeah. Any final words before we wrap this program up? Um, yeah, it's, it, as I said, it, I think that there, people are more open now. People are looking at their lives, and so they should. Don't wait till something goes wrong. Don't wait till you're stressed out and you're up in the matter or wherever you're going to be. Uh, take control of your own life because, like, uh, we are the directors of our own films. Mm -hmm. We are the authors of our own books. And just because there's been a bad chapter doesn't mean that the next three or four couldn't be brilliant. But they will be way better if you decide to take the pen and write them yourself. Mm. Take control of it. Um, don't be shy. Uh, if there are areas that you're struggling in, there's always other areas that you're strong in. Uh, and I would encourage people to get out there, uh, stay as fit as you can, stay active, and um, phone a friend at times. It may not be you that needs that phone call. It could be the friend. Keep in touch with people. Uh, don't be so busy that life passes you by and make that call. Keep in touch with people and encourage them. That's my message. Um, thank you so much for coming on to the programme today. I've really enjoyed talking to you. Um, your book is Mind Over Mountains. It's available 
In all good bookshops? Uh, it is. Charlie Burns have it and the easiest way to get it, I suppose, and the way I'll make the best few pound on it is from, <laughs> from my own website, Paul. My mind over mountains.ie. So, Sinead. <laughs> oh, thank you. That's it for today's programme. Thank you so much for listening along. Stand by here on LCR 102.9 for Tribe by the Lake. Until next week, enjoy the rest of your Sunday.